if you would, go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This morning as we get going here, you have probably heard me say before that, that I did not grow up in a Christian home. We almost never went to church. Um, in fact, I honestly really didn't know that many people that, that, that did go to church. But here's the cool thing. Now, by God's grace, all four of us in my birth family, we, we are now saved. I was saved in 1997 in my late teens. My brother in 2003 in his early 20s. My mom in 2014 in her early 50s. And my dad just a year later in 2015 in his mid-50s. We have all come to Christ and we all now have Christian homes. But again, we didn't grow up in a Christian home. But that doesn't mean that we weren't raised in some Christian values. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there are several that I could point to from my childhood. But one Christian principle that my parents certainly lived out is spare the rod, what? Woo, I'm telling y'all. That was believed in my home, y'all. Now, that's a pithy, memorable way of saying Proverbs 13, 24, which says this. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And so we say, again, so that's memorable, spare the rod, spoil the child. And my dad was dedicated to not spoiling me. Man, I remember toting several whoopings over the course of my childhood. That's what he called it. You didn't just get a whooping, you toted a whooping, all right? Probably one of the biggest ones I ever got when I was four or five years old, and yeah, it was so big that almost 40 years later, I ain't forgot it, all right? My daddy, he'd worked hard to buy me some really nice Tonka trucks, and no doubt he was proud, man, because he sacrificed and provided well for me as his son. Now, this was back in the mid-'80s when Tonka trucks were heavy metal, right? They were really well-made, well-built. You paid good money for them. And, and, and if you have Tonka trucks from your childhood, they're still good today. You can still play with them, right? I don't know how much you spent, but it was a pretty penny, no doubt. Well, I had all my Tonka trucks next door at my grandmother's and my great-grandmother, uh, their house. They, they, they lived right next door to me. And one day my cousin Danny was over there visiting. Uh, not only was he a little bit older than me, I'm just going to tell you right now, he was a lot meaner than me, all right? <laughs> and we were playing with my Tonka trucks, and Danny came up with what seemed at the time to be the best idea ever. He said, hey, Ben, let's play Car Crusher with your Tonka toys. And I said, hmm. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like at the junkyard, when they're about to sell an old junk car for scrap metal, they put it in a crusher and they smash it flat like a pancake. And I thought to myself, that sounds like a great idea. And let me ask y'all, does that sound like a good idea to y'all? Now, as I say it right now, yeah, it don't sound good to me either. But in that moment, four or five years old, however old I was, it was a great idea. It sounded like a lot of fun. And so Danny and I, we found the biggest rock we could lift. And we began to take that rock and go... Kaboom! Kaboom! I don't know how many Tonka toys I had, but it was several. And we did a good job. We were, we were car-crushing pros, if you know what I'm saying. Now, just to be clear, Danny had no Tonka trucks. <laughs> they, they were all Ben's Tonka trucks. 
and he was having a blast. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I was too. It was fun. It was exciting to see those things crush up. And it was all fun until later that evening when my daddy saw what I had done. And after a very short interrogation, I didn't lie to him. And I do want to note, Danny was long gone by this time. (laughs) My dad commenced to whooping me. And rightly so, man. And it was a good one, y'all. It was a good one. And when that was over, guess what? He got to thinking about it. And he came back and whooped me again. Y'all ever been whooped twice for the same thing? Like that's, I thought that was against the law. Isn't that double jeopardy? Is there a lawyer in the house? That is double jeopardy. But nevertheless, I got whooped, <laughs> I got whooped twice for the same crime. And um, just, to, just to show you how angry he was, he actually thought about it some more and was coming back to whoop me a third time when his grandmother, my great-grandmother, said, Jimmy, I think he's had enough. And I had had enough. I had learned my lesson. I never played car crusher again. I respected my toys from there on out. But I want to tell you this morning, I am thankful for that whooping. I'm thankful for every whooping that I ever got when I did wrong. And I'm thankful that my dad didn't spare the rod. Because here's the truth this morning I want you to wrestle with. If sparing the rod spoils the child, then swinging the rod spares the child. Let me say that again. If sparing the rod spoils the child, then swinging the rod spares the child. Let me say it this way. By skillfully employing the rod of discipline, you spare the child from what is potentially a lifetime of grief. Because they never really learn right from wrong. They never really learn to choose wisdom and righteousness over foolishness and sin. So you have only two options. You can only spare one thing. You can either spare the rod, or you can spare the child. Those are your only two And I pray that you would spare the child. That's the title of this morning's message. Today we wrap up our God-shaped parenting series where we've been looking at the perfect parents. There's only one, God the Father. And we're seeing how He parents so that we can learn to parent like Him. We've looked at several things over this six-message series. We've looked at the fact that God is God-centered. We've looked at how God focuses on the heart. How God passes on wisdom and knowledge to His children. How God is not anxious or a worried parent. And then last week we looked at how God is a grace-based parent. But today we're going to focus in on how God the Father is a disciplining parent. And just like all of these other ones, we're to be God-centered We're to be heart-focused. We're to pass on wisdom and knowledge. We're to be anxious about nothing, worried about nothing as a parent. We're to be grace-based, but we're also to be a disciplining parent. That's what God-shaped parenting looks like. We're going to take as our text today Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in the third verse and reading down through the 11th. 
I want to invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word this morning. God's word is true. Let God's, be, uh, let God's word be true and every man a liar, okay? And so that means that as we read this word of God, it is authoritative over every other authority that claims to be an authority on this planet. You understand what I'm saying? This is the one that trumps them all because this is the word of God. All right, here's what it says. Consider him who endured for, uh, from sinners, beginning the third verse there, such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as Sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you were left without, if you were left without discipline in, in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate children and, and, and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, that's God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Fathers, we open your word. I pray that as we expound it today, as we preach it and apply it, God, help us to do what it says do and to be who it calls us to be. I want to pray right now for every mom and dad under my voice who still has children in the home. God, I want to pray for them that they would be shaped by the Bible. I want to pray for grandmas and grandpas this morning who have tremendous influence, not only over their grandchildren, but even over their children who are those ch grandchildren's parents. Father, I pray that you would help us to be godly influencers in that way. Father, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice today who is not yet a son or daughter, you invite all to turn from sin and trust in Christ, and all who do that are adopted into the family of God and become a son or daughter. So I pray this morning that that person who is not yet saved, not yet a child of God, today would be the day they would hear the gospel and run to Christ be saved into the family of God. Father, help us, we pray in this hour. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Now to be precise here, the text here in Hebrews 12, it's actually teaching us about the discipline of God by starting with the discipline of our parents, right? The, parent, the, the discipline that our parents gave us. So in other words, if your parents were good enough to discipline you, then you'd better bet that God the Father is good enough to discipline you as well if you are his child so it's actually arguing from our earthly parents to our heavenly father that's the way the argument is actually going here but i want to take this passage and i want to go the other way i want to extrapolate here from the text how god parents so that we can be shaped like him in our parenting because this is actually saying something about god 
and what it says about God, then we can take back and we can apply to us. So we want to go from our Heavenly Father to our earthly parenting. And here is today's truth. Godly parental discipline is both loving and good. It is both loving and good. And even as I say that this morning, that would be controversial in some circles. Now, it didn't used to be in any circle, but in some circles, even that right there is controversial. But here's the deal. If we are going to live out this truth right here, our text here calls us to four things, four actions this morning. And here's the first one. First, if we're going to live out the truth that godly parental discipline is both loving and good, then we must see why God the Father disciplines His children. See why God the Father disciplines His children. And the why is really, really simple. Y'all ready for this? Why does God do that? Here's the answer. That's what parents who love their children do. Why does God the Father discipline His children? Because that's what parents who love their children do. Let me say it another way. Parents who love their children discipline their children. We see that directly pointed to, particularly verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives now the holy spirit talking through the author of hebrews here is actually quoting from proverbs chapter 3 here proverbs chapter 3 verse 11 and 12 which says my son do not despise the lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights so when you think about this why does our heavenly father discipline well it's because he loves us and if you've turned from sin and trusted in christ then guess what you are an adopted child of god he's your heavenly father and and when he disciplines you he's treating you as a beloved child again that's exactly what our text says look at verse seven and eight it is for discipline that you have to endure god's treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So disciplining your child, mom and dad, is what loving moms and dads do. So I want to say this morning, are you a child of God? Yes or no? Yes, okay. Then expect him to lovingly discipline. Now let's go to the next step here then. Do you have children? And if you do, here's the next question. Do you love them? Then you will do the same thing that your heavenly Father does. You see, in the area of love, y'all, this is one of the areas that the devil has really been successful in twisting and turning and, and, and really um, messing up the truth that our society recognizes. He's done a great job of redefining in our greater cultural context what love is. You see, love biblically defined 
includes influencing a person toward righteousness and away from what is sinful. We see this particularly captured in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, which says this, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. But the world, y'all, through all, only what I can describe as demonic influence. I, I know no other way to describe it. The world, through demonic influence, has redefined love to be this. Letting somebody do whatever they want. Right? This is what we see in the, the whole tolerance movement. If you love me, you'll let me do whatever I want, whatever makes me happy. But the culture's not stopped there. Right? I mean, once you start, I mean, it's a slippery slope. And you keep sliding down because the devil wasn't satisfied with that unbiblical understanding of love. No, he's pushed further to this. Love being redefined is not just tolerating whatever I want to do and whatever makes me happy to this. Love is celebrating whatever I want. Celebrating whatever makes me happy. And in both of those instances, think about this. Discipline is completely thrown out the window. In fact, in these devilish generations of love, love is set against discipline. Love is set up as the opposite of discipline. I want to be very blunt this morning. To hell with that kind of love. Because that's where it leads. Listen to me, church. That's where it leads. If you love your child, you must discipline them. You must steer them toward right and away from wrong, right? You've got to point them to Jesus Christ. I, I was in a, a discussion with a foolish parent not that long ago who said that they would introduce, they're very tolerant very accepting of all beliefs and they told me they said i'm going to introduce my son to every belief under the sun all the ones that the bible says are good and all the ones that the bible says is wrong and then i'm just going to sit back and let my child make up their mind to hell with that kind of thinking because that's where it leads that is hellish foolishness it's a trick of the devil and that parent has been deceived by the devil now listen to me if you love your child you discipline your child pointing them toward righteousness away from sinfulness that's what love does doesn't it isn't that what love does doesn't love take them away from danger to safety well beloved being in the will of God is always safe. Doing what God has said to do is always safe. That's why godly discipline is motivated by love. That's what motivates God the Father to discipline His children. And therefore, that's, that's what should motivate us as, as parents as well. That's the first thing I want you to do. Second, this morning, our text calls us this. If we're going to live out this truth, that godly parental discipline is both loving and good, then we got to recognize the necessity of parental discipline. Recognize the necessity of parental discipline. That's what Hebrews 12, 7 is getting at. Hebrews 12, 7. Look 
at what it says. It's kind of strange how it says it, but this is what it's getting at. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. What in the world does that mean? Well, here's what it means. Unless you endure discipline, you will never be a a disciplined person. That's what it means. Unless you endure discipline, you will never be a disciplined person. In other words, you'll never know right from wrong if you don't endure the experience of being disciplined. And your life will be very difficult. You ever been around a kid who's never been disciplined? Y'all, being real, they're almost intolerable, aren't they? Almost intolerable. Why? Because they have not learned no. As parenting scholar Catherine Lee once wrote, she said this, what many parents who are reluctant to discipline their children may not understand is how damaging it can be for a child to lack boundaries. Without discipline, children will be deficient in important life skills, including the following. She's not even coming from a Christian perspective here, y'all. This is just common sense. They will be more likely to engage in negative behaviors that are harmful and even potentially dangerous for themselves as well as others. She goes on, they will be unhappy. They will be willful, selfish, and generally unpleasant company. They will lack self-control. They will not have social skills that are important for making friends such as empathy, patience, and knowing how to share. They they, They will not know what is appropriate behavior. And finally, she says, they will not respect their parents or other authority figures. Just pull up the news, and you're going to see the fruit of that sort of thinking being lived out in generations of people who were never disciplined. They were given everything that they wanted and let do whatever they wanted. And now when somebody says no, they're going to throw a fit until they get their way. And if it means rioting, if it means burning down the the city, they're going to do that. We are witness to the fruit of an undiscipled and undisciplined generation. Absent fathers, passive fathers, passive mothers. So beloved, I say to you this morning, discipline is... It's absolutely necessary. But I want my child to like me, preacher. (laughs) Grow up and quit being codependent upon your child's approval. I'm being real. Grow up and quit depending, being codependent upon your child's approval. (laughs) But disciplining is so hard. Yeah, quit being lazy. Do the work that God has called you to do. I don't want to crush my child's little self-expression. Really? (laughs) Have y'all read the Bible? Do you really know what the Word of God says about your child? Beloved, just like you were, your child is a born sinner. And left to themselves, that's what they'll express. Consider Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3. 
dead in the trespasses and sins in which he once walked, following the course of this world. Right? That's the nature, right? The nature of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Listen to this. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest. Consider Romans 3. 10 through 18 concerning your children as it is written none is righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks for God all have turned aside together they've become worthless no one does good not even one their throat is an open grave they use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Oh, Pastor Ben, not my child. That didn't describe my child. Yes, your child and my children. That's what it means to inherit the nature of sin from Adam and left to ourselves. That's what will express. That's why it's of absolute necessity that godly parents come alongside their children with godly discipline. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says it this way. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Is that true? Think back on your childhood for a moment. Don't you find that to be true from your life? Wasn't folly bound up in the heart of your child self? Didn't you believe some foolish things and do some foolish things like crushing your Tonka trucks? I mean, for real. And look, I, I just told one of the stories that was kind of cute. I, I mean, the stories I could tell you. I mean, look foolishness was bound in my heart but I want you to look at the rest of Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. 15 folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline drives it far from him godly parental discipline is absolutely necessary to drive folly out foolishness out from the heart of a child and it's especially important that we start young with our children when they're particularly malleable. Let me, let me ask you a question. Which is easier to shape? Wet concrete or dry concrete? The answer is wet, of course. Which is easier to shape? Green wood or dried wood? When wood has been cured, it's set. And you can bend it, but it's probably going to break. And the same is true for our children, right? When we start young, when we start when they're more like wet cement, when they're more like green wood, we have a better chance of shaping them toward godliness. Because the older they get, the more set in their ways they're going to become. And it's not possible to shape them at that point, but it becomes 
much more difficult. Thus the wisdom from Proverbs 22, verse 6 is well affirmed. Proverbs 22, verse 6 is another passage that you probably know well by memory. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now the the straightforward translation of that kind of says this. Train up a child in the way that he is bent and he will never depart from it. In other words, look at it both ways. Train up a child in the way he should go and he'll never depart from it. But also, leave your child to himself to express all that the Bible says that comes from a heart of a sinner and guess what? They very well may never depart from the foolishness that will come out of their heart. That's why godly parental discipline is of absolute necessity. Third, I would say this this morning. If we're going to live out the truth that godly parental discipline is both loving and good, then we must focus on the results of parental discipline. Look at the text. Our text points to several results here, but particularly verse 9 through 11. Hebrews 12, 9 through 11. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time and it seemed best to them. But He, that's God, disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Did you see the fruit there? Discipline leads to respect for parents, which leads to respect for other authorities. Respect includes the idea of a holy fear, of a holy reverence. Just as God works to instill in us a, a holy fear and a holy reverence for Him, listen, we are to strive to develop that in our children for us as parents. That's something that my generation has kind of lost. Proverbs 9, 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And the same is true for godly parents listen to this think about this the fear of godly parents is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge from godly parents is insight beloved your children should have a righteous respect for you a holy fear their friend when they grow up right for those of you who have gotten to the other side isn't it great that you can be friends with your children at that point and it's beautiful it's beautiful right i mean my dad and my mom they're some of my best friends at this point in my life but it can't be that it can't be that at that point when they're in your home as a child and as a teenager they need you to be 
mom. They need you to be dad. We also see here the fruit of not just respect, but the fruit of life itself. You see, a parent who disciplines their child, that discipline leads to life itself. Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14, really spells this out beautifully. Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Now, Sheol is the abode of the dead. It's the grave. And when you discipline your child, you are preserving that child's life. And finally, you see the fruit of holiness. You see the fruit of holiness talked about here. Your child will be more godly, more Christ-like when you discipline him, when you discipline her. They'll enjoy the fruit. Notice what it says here. Of the peace of righteousness. Righteousness brings peace into their life. Proverbs 13, 15. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. Now the King James says it this way. The way of the transgressors is hard. The way of the transgressors is hard. If you want your child to have a hard life, then withhold discipline from them. Spare the rod and let them do whatever they want parent who lovingly disciplines their child will help their child walk in the peace of righteousness that springs forth not only in this life but in the next life for all who turn from sin and follow Jesus beloved you have to focus on the fruit because in the moment it's hard it's difficult man it is difficult you have to focus on the long-term results because again to be honest it's not fun being the disciplinarian. I mean, don't you want to be the fun parent? Don't, I mean, when you had kids, I mean, weren't you excited about the fun you were going to have? Do you see my face? Is it fun? Is it fun yet? Of course, there's joy in it, but it's not always fun. I mean, it takes energy. It takes fortitude. It takes creativity. It takes perseverance. It takes character, and it's not always fun. But look again at verse 11 here in Hebrews 12. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline is not only painful for the child, it's painful for the parent. I mean, maybe you've had this said to you, or maybe you even said it. You certainly heard it. Honey, this is going to hurt me way more than it's going to hurt you. Sometimes I question that because I can make that paddle sing, boy, I'm telling you. Ooh, I can lift up some hind ends with that paddle. But I'm telling you right now,
telling you right now, it's hard on a parent. It is. You don't want to have to do that. You don't want to have to enforce all of that. Whether it's a spanking at a, at, at a particular age, right? I mean, once they get up to a certain age, I mean, spanking's not appropriate anymore. But it is at certain points when they're younger. And as they get older, then it becomes grounding and removing privileges and all of those things. Is it fun making sure that they don't watch TV for the next week? It's not fun. But why do we do it? Because we are focused on the long-term results. We keep the end in mind so that we do what we need to do in the short term. We got to keep that godly fruit, those godly results in mind. And finally, I would just say this. If we're going to live out this truth that godly parental discipline is both loving and good, then we must finally devote, devote yourself to godly parental discipline. I wish I had time. I, I, I could come back next week with part two and really get practical here. But you guys have resources out there. Find resources that help you understand what godly parental discipline is, what it looks like, those practical things. I want today to lay the groundwork, all right? And you go find what it means. But that's the implication throughout all of this. You've got to devote yourself to this. This doesn't happen by chance. The gravity of your own depravity will keep you from this. So you've got to dedicate yourself to this. This is what I will be. And you've got to lean on the Lord for it. You've got to lean, hey, mom and dad, husband, wife, you've got to lean on one another. Because that baby, that, that child, that teenager is going to try to triangulate you. And what that means is that they try to pick you off one at a time. They try to turn you against the other one so that they can divide and conquer. But you've got to stick together. No, no, this is what, what did mom say? Okay, that's what we're doing. Oh, what, well, what did your father say? Well, that's what we're doing. You have that unified front. And you can go behind closed doors and disagree. Why in the world did you do that? Right? I, I don't like what you said to him. Okay. You can have that disagreement behind doors. But buddy, I'm telling you right now, you better be the allied powers in front of them. Because we all know. We were there, right? We know how to get what we want. So you've got to be that unified front. You've got to lean on the Lord for this, y'all. Raising kids is not for the faint of heart. And you've got to follow God's example. Work by the power of His Holy Spirit through this. One hot summer day in South Florida, there was a little boy who decided to go for a swim in the old swimming hole behind his house. And in a hurry to dive into the cool water, he, he ran out the back door, left behind his shoes, socks, shirt as he went in. He flew into the water, and he did not realize that as he swam toward the middle of the swimming hole, a gator was swimming toward the shore. His mama in the house looked out, and looking through the window, saw the two as they got closer and closer together in utter fear, right? She ran out of the house toward the water, yelling at her son, Son, come back! Get out of the water! 
hearing her voice, the little boy, he, he became alarmed. He made a U-turn. He began to swim back to his mama, and it was too late. Just as he reached her, the alligator reached him and clamped on to his legs. And from the dock, the mother and that gator began a tug of war for that child. The alligator was much stronger than the mother, but the mama was much more passionate than that gator. And she would not let go of her son. And praise God, a farmer just happened to be driving by. He heard the screams. He raced from his truck, took aim, shot that gator. And remarkably, after weeks and weeks in the hospital, the little boy survived. His legs were extremely scarred by the attack. On his arms also were deep scratches where his mama's fingernails had dug into his flesh in an effort to hang on to her son and the newspaper reporter had to get the story he came and interviewed the boy after the trauma he asked hey can can i see the scars where the gator bit you and the boy lifted up his pant legs and then with obvious pride he said to the reporter but you need to see my arms too you see i i have scars on my arms as well I have them because my mama would not let go. Now, beloved, listen to me. That's how our children should look back on our discipline. Now, I want to be clear as I say that. Our discipline should never leave scars, okay? I, I mean, we're not talking about abuse here. There's a difference between discipline and abuse. But it should leave, our discipline should leave an indelible mark on the soul of our children for their good. Moms and dads, Discipline your child. Don't ever let them go. And here's my final prayer. May your child look back on your good, loving, godly discipline with thanksgiving.